Hi there and welcome to The Coaching Question. This is the podcast for people who want to know more about coaching, how to commission it, when to use it, and really what's it all about. But join me, Gregor Finlay, and my colleague Sarah Turner, two executive coaches for an honest conversation. In today's episode, we asked the question, how do you deal with stress and mental health in coaching? Now, Sarah, you, you were telling me a story I think is highly relevant here quite recently. So share that story with our audience. Yes. So this was a client who had come to me for coaching and it was probably around about session two or session three. And she walked into the room and she had this familiar expression so her eyes looked really tired and her brow was quite furrowed so sort of in that area of her face it looked like she was carrying a lot and I just had this sense of weight and overwhelm and as we got into the coaching I realized that actually she was feeling quite stuck she was really struggling to move forward and my instinct just told me that there was something bigger that was going on here. And so I just started to explore the possibility with her that perhaps she might find it useful to talk to her doctor about how she was feeling. And anyway, you know, long story cut short, that's what she ended up doing. And in our next session, she said, I cannot thank you enough. I've been to the doctor and I've been diagnosed with depression and burnout. And what I think is just interesting about that story is that I don't think she would have gone to the doctor unless I had flagged that and encouraged her to find that support. I recognise that. Mm. And I think that's what's really interesting about mental health. It doesn't look and feel the same for everybody. No, but it raises the question. There was something that you clearly thought was a mental health or a counselling or a therapy issue. It wasn't something that you felt that you could deal with. Yes. So it brings up the whole question is what's the boundary? Where does coaching stop and counselling start? So what's your viewpoint on that? Because, again, you did not try to deal with this issue. You referred it to a professional. Yes. And, and I would always, in that situation, check in with the client on what they wanted to do as a result. Because sometimes people feel, actually, I'm going to go and ha- have this counselling and kind of work through this separately and then I'll come back and see you. And other times people say, well, actually, I'm quite clear on what I'm dealing with in my counselling and I'd still like to have the coaching with you to help me think about what I'm doing perhaps in the workplace. And with this individual, we did actually continue to do a bit of work together, supporting her on some of her workplace challenges. Meanwhile, she was having this support externally. So I think, you know, you can have that support in different ways, but it's about being really clear in your contracting on what it is that you're focusing on. Yes, and that comes up for me in terms of it's not an either-or, is you can have therapy and coaching going alongside one another, and it does come down to really strong contracting and boundaries about what is in the coaching and what is in therapy. I've had instances where I've coached people that have been in therapy for depression or anxiety. The coaching has gone alongside that because we're dealing with two very different things. Yes. And that was bounded. So anything to do with their depression was very much in the therapist's area. Anxiety that had to do with really understanding where her anxiety was coming from in terms of her childhood, that would be the realm of the counselling. But anything about dealing with stress and anxiety in the workplace, we were very comfortable dealing with. Yes. So it was just about, and I now remember a very particular conversation, and it was just like, so this topic, do you think this is a topic for here or for your counselling? And she considered and said, 
actually, I think that's for counselling. I said, okay, let's leave it and let's move on. Yeah. So you, you can, it's about managing those boundaries and managing the contract. But stress, and especially with COVID-19, stress and mental health is coming more and more, I feel, into the coaching space. So we really need to know how to deal with it. So our listeners might be interested about some of the things we do in coaching around stress and mental health. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how do we deal with mental health challenges that come up in a coaching session? Yeah. What's your approach? So there's a couple of, quite like a model, there's a couple of um, tools and models that I use. So it's a model called Emotions in Action, and it has four quadrants. So in the top right-hand corner, there is thriving. Top left-hand is surviving. Bottom left is burnout. And the bottom right is rest and recovery. And essentially, it has a range of emotions that you might feel when you're in each quadrant. And the exercise is to really think about where you spend most of your time And what is it that triggers you to move from one to the other? So I find that can be quite useful to share with clients for them to reflect on and to think about where they're spending most of their time. And if they find that perhaps they're in surviving more than they want to be, that gives us a way for us to explore what is it that moves you into surviving? How are you feeling when you're there? And what are some of the steps you might take to move you back out of that into thriving? So this, I was going to say, this might be something that we could share in the show notes. Yes, I think because I, I, I want to steal that model. I think it's a great model. So here's another model. Often people are going along and they're not actually aware. They're symptom unaware. Yes. They're not actually aware of the level of stress they're carrying. They're not aware that actually in some areas that they may be depressed, etc. So they're unaware of the symptom and then they become aware of what's going on. So I think this exercise is really good in terms of bringing up the awareness and how much time they're spending in in each emotional state. But then you said another thing, to become aware of the triggers that might put you into one of these quadrants. So beyond symptom aware is trigger aware. Now, I think that's something we're often doing in coaching in terms of the symptom might come up which is I'm not very confident in these presentations with senior people. And the question might be, is that a full-time problem or a part-time problem? And if it's a part-time problem, it means there's a trigger in the environment. And so I'm thinking about an example, I've had multiple examples like this, but it's a particular CEO or executive that may be reminding this person of someone in their past. But anyway, it's triggering a different response. So once we're aware of the trigger, we either avoid the trigger or we resource people to handle the trigger. So I think a lot of what coaching can do in the stress mental health area is helping resource people. Yes. Such that they can deal with the stress that's being triggered in them. Yeah. Also knowing when it is that you need to refer someone to a professional. So I have another quick story about a client just to illustrate the point about triggers that I'll share quickly. So I had a client and she was struggling and feeling quite overwhelmed and anxious whenever she received an email from a partner. And she had the strong sense of needing to respond to it straight away when she was already overwhelmed with work. And this sort of panic would rise in her chest. And so we talked about this trigger. We identified that this was a trigger that sent her into panic. And in the end, we worked through what her values are, what's really important to her. And she basically developed a response that she would, or a mantra that she would say to herself when she received those emails. And it was, I can't remember the exact words, but it was along the lines of, I'm going to give myself the space and the time to respond to this in a considered way. And so that's just an example of, you know, the trigger, identifying what the trigger is, 
what impact the trigger has and what's a strategy in which, you know, what's a, an approach I can develop for overcoming that. It's a really good example of resourcing. And another approach there, which is a bit more teachy, um, would be to introduce elements of mindfulness. I certainly have a little checklist I yes. go through. Yes, you mentioned this. That I just want to check. There may be like environmental factors. So first of all, I asked them, are they sleeping well? Because, you know, the fear center of the brain is 40% more activated on waking if we're sleep deprived, which technically is under five and a half hours. Are they drinking during the week? Now, where does alcohol come in? Because alcohol will help you get to sleep, but actually ensures you have a poor night's sleep, low quality of sleep. So basically, are they drinking during the week? What are they? What's the relationship with caffeine? And do they take caffeine in terms of coffee? Uh, do they drink caffeine late at night? So basically, caffeine. I know other coaches are very keen on their hydration, but we're just going through a, a very simple checklist. To begin with, let's make sure that there isn't just something in the environment or the physicality that's actually really interfering with the capability to handle anxiety and stress. That's the first thing. And then I think elements of mindfulness can come in very strongly. We've both noticed, I'm sure when this woman uh, that you were, either of these people you're talking about dealing with stress, you'll observe them, they would be breathing high in Mm, their chest. Definitely. Yeah. As soon as they start talking about something that they're anxious about, their breathing moves to their chest. Actually, just helping people know how to breathe properly. I think that's so important. I think it's so important because it's such a simple thing that's accessible to everybody. And actually, we don't realise how often we do that short, shallow breathing and just taking a moment to do some deep belly breaths. The number of clients I have now who will go and stand in the toilet and take five deep breaths before they've got a meeting or something, it's just so powerful. The other thing I just wanted to pick up there, in the you talked about breathing, and I obviously shared earlier with my client where I could sort of see it in her eyes and her furrowed brow. I think that's where a coach can be really helpful because it's about that mirroring and reflecting back what we see and what we hear in a way that no one else is probably going to ask those sorts of questions. You and I will often work somatically so we might think about how we're feeling in our body and share that with our client or we might explore with our client how they're feeling or where they feel something in their body and explore what that might be telling us. And those are the kinds of questions that people generally won't be asked in other parts of their lives. Yeah, I think a coach is far more likely to make just very clear observations Mm. without judgment about what is going on and reflect that back and then help that person understand what is actually going on. They may not actually realise that this stimulus is actually triggering a whole bunch of stress. And they're not actually aware how stressed they are about this particular thing. So I really love that model about being unaware, symptom aware, mm. trigger aware. Because you can leap towards the trigger as a coach because it's, it's quite obvious. But it doesn't mean to say that you can't resource them at other yes. levels. So I, I like this idea of, of resourcing. So I think one of the things we're doing when we're dealing with stress or mental health is just helping resource people to be more resilient we're not going to go into resilience as a a topic but what you're really doing is helping people be more resilient so they can be more mentally healthy and there's something in that around enabling clients to realize what control and influence they have over that because often when we're feeling stressed we feel almost helpless we feel overwhelmed and often we just can't find our way out of that situation and so I think this idea of resourcing and helping clients to find approaches or steps or practices or rituals that they can introduce to their lives to help them manage their own well-being 
can be really powerful. I'm remembering a client. It depends on where the client is, but this guy was dealing with a huge amount of work stress. But we took the time to go through some mindfulness. And I introduced them also to the Headspace mm. app. There's lots of different mindfulness apps uh, around it for you. Calm. Calm. Yes, calm's really good. And it's like Timer. It's got lots of meditations yes. that, are, that are free. So there's three, yeah, Headspace, Calm, and Insight Timer are three really good uh, mindfulness apps. He introduced, after us doing some mindfulness exercises, he introduced a routine for him before he did anything else. He got up and he would go into a separate room from his partner and would go through some mindfulness. Completely transformed his life. I had no idea that mindfulness would have that level of transformation but for him he came back and he said it is the most important part of my day it's the rock upon which everything else is built I mean, one of the things I, I mean I'll share here is coaches and therapists they will talk about how much should you disclose to your clients when it comes to mental health I have had to deal with depression and anxiety and if somebody's dealing with depression for example I will disclose mm. that because I think it allows people to more easily be able to deal with Okay, here's someone else who's admitting that they have had some problems with depression or anxiety. And you can then steer them a, a little bit towards the resources that are available, how to do you know, But you're not getting into therapy, but you're just maybe opening the door to them to maybe go and getting some other help. It's that permission thing. It's very similar to the story I shared earlier with my client. And people often don't realise where they're at. And I think if you were to share that with them instantly, that makes them feel safe and able to perhaps admit that that maybe that's how they're feeling too so i think that's i think that's huge and i think that's it's a big ethical consideration i think for coaches because you will know with certain clients that without someone giving them permission without someone enabling that some external source giving them permission that they won't go and get Mm. the help that they need so you are in an ethical quandary should i intervene is this actually part of my role I think there's an ethical consideration that if I don't actually maybe be a bit more directive, give this person some permission, that they won't go and get the help and they're going to have to get in a really bad place before they get some of the resources. I'd like to just revisit that point of the story you shared about the mindfulness, because what that sounds like to me is a ritual that this client developed. Every morning they get up and that was the bedrock of their day. And that speaks to another model that's very similar to the one I shared, which is about these four wellsprings of energy. Now, there's a Harvard Business Review article that I know you and I both know. I think you might have shared it with me years ago, which is about managing your energy and not managing your, rather than managing your time. And again, we can put that in the show notes. But this article speaks to this model. the idea that time is finite. We have 24 hours in every day, but our energy isn't. And if we think about the world of sport, elite athletes, there's this phrase I came across a few months back, which is, we live our lives as if we're running a marathon rather than a series of sprints. What I really like about that is it's this point about a series of sprints. And so athletes need to have a period of recovery before they then go at it again. And when I share that phrase with my clients, the number of times that I can almost see a light bulb go off and they just think, oh God, yeah, actually I'm just charging full steam ahead. Where is my recovery time? What do I do to take my own oxygen mask first? And that's exactly what your client was doing there with that mindfulness. Yeah, and we've talked about that proper selfishness Mm. thing 
uh, before. And so your client there was talking about um, developing a mindfulness practice or a mindfulness ritual. And so there's actually four wellsprings that we can think about when we're thinking about how on earth can we renew our energy in order to keep us going and to be able to be at our best. So the one that you talked about with mindfulness would fit into the mental wellspring, so mental health. What do I need to do? What rituals or practices can I introduce into my life that will nurture my mental well-being, my mental health? So that could be mindfulness, that could be going out into nature, it could be good sleep practices. The other wellsprings are physical. So we all know that exercise is good for us. And we're recording this in the middle of lockdown where we're allowed to have one piece of exercise each day. And that's absolutely crucial when people are feeling trapped and all the other emotions that they're feeling at the moment. There's the emotional wellspring, which is really about getting in touch with how we feel. And I know you and I have talked about before the importance of naming our emotions. And then the last one is purposeful. So that's getting really clear on what matters to us and our values i like that i like that so again we love a model in there is that another two by two matrix or it's just yeah yeah it is yeah it maps with the other one really about the thriving and surviving it's very similar but they're just different ways of looking at it but what what i like about this is it's the idea of the ritual so it doesn't have to be like an hour-long task that you add to your to-do list it can be literally five minutes of mindfulness as you used with your client example half an hour walk outside but it's it's about making it intentional and making it a ritual so that it becomes a habit there's something really important in terms of everybody now working from home, and that is it's very stressful if people don't have boundaries. And I was thinking it in terms of there's a psychological tool called Fire B. What it does is it, it deals with people's interpersonal needs. And but one of them is a need for structure. And we don't realize the structure that comes from walking to the train station or getting in the car, having a cup of coffee, having a certain break, having lunch at a certain time. Those are all there as part of structure. And if you're just suddenly working from home and you're not used to it, there are no boundaries. And that's really stressful for people and people don't realize it. So there is something about making sure and so i've been helping lots of clients recently in terms of let's recreate a whole bunch of structural elements Mm. such that you do have boundaries that you are protecting your lunch that you are taking certain breaks that you do for some people they even might need a change of clothing from non-work clothes to work clothes and vice versa so they've got a a strong signal of this change so structure can be a really important element but it all comes back to that thing about I think the coach knowing their boundaries, I can help in these areas, I can help resource someone, but there will become a point where someone may need to go back and really explore something at a deep level with a therapist. Yes. I think, and you know, the model I was talking about in terms of unaware, symptom aware, trigger aware, I think sophisticated coaches can deal with the next stage, which is internal process aware. What is actually going on inside someone, there's... At some point, there may be a lot of shadow. So that is stuff that is covered up in someone's past. Yes. That they need to look under they need to look under the rug. They need to really unpack some stuff that's currently hidden. And that can be a very painful and stressful thing. That's what therapy is for. Yeah. So I will often say to clients, well, clients know I've got a psychology degree, is, no, I don't want them to sit on a couch. 
I don't want to. I don't want them to tell me about their childhood. I'm interested in the decisions they made in childhood that now play out in mm. the current time that may not be beneficial. And that's often what I'll talk about as well. Is that we're not therapists and we don't spend a long time in the past. But actually, if we purely focus on the future without acknowledging what's gone on in the past in terms of how our history has shaped us, then actually we're missing quite a big piece of the jigsaw. That's a great example. So the story that just popped into mind is um, I'm having a session with a client and then it is about how he feels in front of crowds of people, larger numbers of people standing on his feet and presenting. And he stopped and then he went, I got it. I know exactly the moment that this happened. I was nine years old and this teacher ridiculed me in front of the class. Mm, I've had that with a client too. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And so the thing is, a therapist might want to go back and unpick that, yeah. but we're not interested no. in that. We're interested in, okay, how do you deal with it now going forward? Mm. How do you? What's the best way to resource yourself? Shifting the meaning-making now rather than understanding meaning-making then. Hopefully yeah. that makes sense. Yes, yeah. I mean, I could have said, oh, tell me more about that teacher or how did you feel then? That's not my job. But I think that's a really good distinction between what therapy is and what coaching mm. is. Okay, so let's wrap this session up. In terms of mental health and stress, what's one tip or insight or thought that you would share? So I really love Brené Brown and one of her very well-known quotes is about boundaries. And so she says to us, daring to set boundaries is about having the courage to love ourselves even when we risk disappointing others. And what I really love about that is it's this message that it's okay to take care of your own needs and that's what these rituals are about. And that's what asking for help is about, if that's what you need. But it's being really clear about what's okay and what's not okay. I think coaching can be really powerful in helping you to clarify that. Yeah. And I think my basic message would be kind to yourself. And I think a lot of when we're talking about stress and mental health, it is about kindness. But Internally, rather than externally, I had a wonderful definition of depression is anger turned on oneself. And I thought, that's okay, I'm not a therapist, but it's really interesting. That's an emotion turned inward. And I think really dealing with stress and mental health is about turning kindness inside. That's the message that I would like to give. Um, so we'll, we'll put uh, the models we've talked about in the show notes yep we will thank you for taking the time to listen to this show we appreciate any feedback and we're really keen to respond to any questions there are out there about using and implementing coaching in organisations so please email us on info at thecoachingquestion.com and please do give us a rating on iTunes or your preferred podcasting or video platform it really helps us spread the word to a wider audience 